Welcome to uh, another episode of Trees and Lines at the Trees and Utilities Conference. We're thrilled to welcome Greg Dahl uh, from West Virginia University. Indeed. Um, he has a very, very colorful background in industry and academia, and we're going to get to know him a little bit and what he's up to. So, Greg, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks for inviting me here. It's great to be here in Pittsburgh for uh, the conference, Trees and Utility. Um, my name is Greg Dahl, as you said. Um, I, I'm teaching arboriculture and urban forestry at West Virginia University. Um, my background, you know, of course, I have an academic background, but I also came from industry as well. Um, I was a practicing arborist out in California, uh, both in the utility sector as well as in the commercial sector. Uh, so I worked uh, in, involved with the PG&E out in California doing some tree inventory and managing pole clearing projects to try to reduce fire loading uh, on their circuits. Um, and then I moved on into industry or moved on into commercial sales and I was selling down in the South Bay, Silicon Valley area, uh, tree work for a local tree care company. Um, and I did that, both of those together for about seven years before I returned to graduate school for uh, my master's and PhD. And that's wow. when I ended up here at uh, West Virginia. Is West Virginia, okay. Yeah. This is uh, your alma mater, right? Yeah, West yeah. Virginia's mine, yep. yep. Yeah. So you teach. When people get out of West Virginia, do they know about utility uh, arboriculture? Yes. Well, first, we're biased because we both uh, are involved with West Virginia University, which has a strong history in utility arboriculture. Um, when I teach my arboriculture class, I teach that in the fall and the spring. I teach in urban forest management. I see that as tree care or large management. Um, in my arboriculture class, we spend a, a few lectures talking about trees, growing around proximity of power lines and how to prune them properly as best we can to keep the, the power lines on. Um, I spent a little bit more time looking at how urban forestry, how utility forestry is really part of urban forestry. You know, as you know, we're managing large swaths of land and trees that impact everybody every day long. We forget about the importance of utility forestry until the power goes out. And we don't realize what, what our industry does until that time. So I try to encourage my students that this is a good sector. And uh, about a third of our students end up in, our forestry students end up in arboriculture, and probably I would say more than half of them into the utility industry. Yeah. So I, I'm happy about that. So why do you think West Virginia is one of the few? I mean, it just amazes me that we can't get schools to recognize utility forestry. There are a few. I mean, Wisconsin, with Stevens Point, used to and still does do a lot with that. Um, I think it's because long term we haven't seen utility given the respect that it deserves. As I said to you, it's urban forestry. We nationwide we've really incorporated urban forestry into all the ecosystem services and all the benefits that we get, and they don't see utility a part of that. So right. I think a lot of the academics themselves don't see the interest in that and see the importance in that. And I think a lot of the students don't feel that until they get into industry and start realizing how much we love the land and how much we love the trees that we take care of. It's a great industry and the people do care. You know, yeah. they just don't hear about it until they get into it. I didn't. I, yeah. I didn't. I Neither really didn't did know I. about utility until I got the job out west. And as soon as I can honestly say, a buddy that used to live here that I met out in California, um, about a month into it, I said I found my career. I was a wildlife student. I was going to do utility long enough to find that wildlife job. Nearly 30 years later, I'm still not looking for that wildlife job. I'm quite content where I'm at. Yeah, good, good. Like Phil, you're, you're a bit of an exception in this industry, in this sector, because, you know, you do have higher degrees, right? You're, you know, a PhD in the space like Phil, yeah. and which fascinates me that you've committed yourself to, to that level of 
continued education and, and research. Um, what prompted you to want to leave industry and go back, though, into academia? Was it just like, were you seeing things and, and feeling like, hey, I've got I've to dig a little deeper um, because yeah. we're operating at a, a more of a surface level? Like, what was the driving factor to send you back to West Virginia? Uh, to be honest, the driving factor was when I was an undergrad, I was a non-traditional undergrad. I didn't get my degree until I was almost 30. Okay. Uh, so I was always, I've always been a non-traditional person as far as just figure out where I want to be and I'm going to be there eventually. Yep. Um, I, wanted to, I, wa- I love academic. I love teaching. Um, I really knew as an undergraduate, an older undergraduate, that I wanted to teach. Um, and again, I wanted to do wildlife. Yep. That didn't parlay out very well because there just aren't very many jobs. As soon as I discovered... Uh, utility and utility forestry, I knew where my passion was was developing and where it was going to go. Um, so as I had worked for about five years and knew I wanted to return to graduate school, I knew this is where I wanted to go. I was benefited that I um, I had spent time doing some research projects when I was with uh, the consulting company, and I did some work for PG&E doing a couple different research projects, and that introduced research to mm, me. So I knew I that there was a lot more to learn and a lot more. And I, I see our research as the extension research in one respect, the extension component that a lot of universities have. Not only do we do the research, but we, se- we assemble everyone else's research and try to get that information out to the public. And I think that's really what drew me towards the academic side is trying to get information out to the practitioner to make them, to allow them to be better at their management. That, that's great because that's one of the real challenges. So many of uh, the research goes into a journal and so many of our members don't read journals. No. So it'll be years to get that information into the field. And that's something we've been trying to do with the UAA. we got a research committee with UAA. Um, and we realize, I don't know about you, but if I want to fall asleep, all i got to do is pull out a research journal or two and I will <laughs> fall asleep. It is a great cure for insomnia. And I... I respect practitioners going, this is too heady. Too, we have to write our research papers in a scientific manner in order to get it published. But it doesn't make for good reading and a simple one-pager or something like that. So um, I, I realize, and so do a lot of people within, within the UAA and with our industry, we've got to find a way to summarize these, these information, these, these data sheets that are out there to try to get it into something that is meaningful to the practitioner. Easy yeah. to read while you're on your lunch hour or while you got a 20-minute break if yeah. you ever have that during the day. Yeah. Research. Yes. You uh, got a grant this year, right, from Tree Fund? Was it the Utility Arborist Research Fund? I have received two Utility Arborist Research Funds grants the last two years. They're oh. basically partnered That's with each awesome. other. So it's a continuation of the one I got this year. Um, and what I'm trying to do is I am trying to look at utility outage reports, uh, the tree cause outage reports, to try to, what I'd like to do is collect as many tree outage reports as I can across the U.S. and even our partners up in Canada and try to build as large of a database as possible to try to big the power of big data, uh, machine learning, to try to understand why we have failures, both within the right-of-way and, as we all know, a lot of times those failures are outside the right-of-way. So I'm trying to find out, trying to assemble that database to look at what are the leading causes and the reasons, uh, whether topography or tree species, height, size, anything like that. So you're going to the uh, all the utilities? You want to go? I know you're just yeah. starting. Yeah. So, so what's your request? You got 
people listening. So my request is, um, and uh, my, my name is Greg Dahl at West Virginia University. So my, my hope is that if I can reach out to you or you can reach out to me, I'm trying to collect any, any company, utility, uh, any co-op, any uh, tree care company that has been utility services that has databases that they can share with me. Um, I'm hoping to compile these databases into one larger database so I can uh, have a graduate student, a doctorate student, look at that. Uh, so my request is to contact me and I'd be happy to uh, work with you to make sure that the data is confidential, that I don't share stuff that you don't want. I can wash the data of the client information. You can wash it yourself. I don't need to have the circuit name or anything like that. I'm happy to have that, but um, so I can collect as large of a database from across the U.S. and into Canada if possible to help us as an industry really understand why we have outages. So this is a lot of utilities that do post-event investigations. Yes, preferably by an arborist rather than a lineman, but even the lineman data is better than not. A lot of people heard you, so hopefully we get some response. Thank you. How do people sort of find out about your program, like the students? Like, are they specifically looking for you? Do they typically fall into it from other majors? Like, um, yeah, tell me a little bit about that dynamic. So again, my program, Arboriculture and Urban Forestry, is housed within the major forestry and natural resources. Okay. Uh, so many of the students who are already in the forest resource management program, they're, they're finding out because, oh, my class is an elective. So they're taking the class. Oh, this sounds interesting. Um, and maybe I get a chance to climb a tree, which always entices people. Um, but we also find a lot of students that are coming in to the greater realm of school of ags or biology that are interested in something a little more hands-on, and they, they, they hear about what we can do in forestry, they're interested in wildlife or water studies or something like that, and they realize what a natural resource manager does, and then that's how they really find our program, our major, but then with, with arboriculture, I think it's happenstance, unfortunately. I, I think our universities don't, don't sell our profession right, nearly yeah. as well as they could. What would you say if someone like me who's in industry and certainly I don't come from the space, but there are things that I'm seeing that I would want to explore more, more from a, a depth of understanding, data, information. Do you partner with industry players where you can, we can do these mini research projects to, to try to solve a particular idea, problem, or just get a deeper understanding? Is that something that the, the university allows you to do? Yeah, most universities, I mean, you can do that one or two ways, to be honest. Uh, most universities with a research grant are more than happy, you know, give right. us some money and we'll, 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 <laughs> right. we'll partner with you and do right. a research. Right. Um, at the same token, um, we're allowed to do some work that's external to the university that fits within the realm of the university. So we're allowed to do some of that, call it consulting work that we can reach out and tackle a specific problem Got it. Um, and either partner the university name with it or maybe lightly or strongly partner the name of the university along with it. Are you from West Virginia originally? No, I'm not. Um, while I was born out in California, I grew up in Indiana. I was, uh, we moved when I was four, so I'm a Northeast Indiana, Fort Wayne native. Um, and I moved, I've moved around. I lived on the East Coast, lived on the West Coast, uh, did graduate studies on the East Coast, and I, I landed in this wonderful state. Phil, you know it. It's, it's a gorgeous state. We're oh, just an hour south state. of here. It's absolutely and beautiful. And I've been here 12 years, and it's just, it's, it's heaven. It's love. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So you're looking around. What other research do you see down the road? What areas are you focusing on? My focus 
And I didn't talk about that in my background. Uh, my doctorate work and most of my post work as a university faculty member has been looking at tree biomechanics. So what I see this utility work that I'm doing, looking at tree failures, it's not looking specifically, is that root strong enough? Is the trunk heavily decayed? But looking at the bigger picture of why are trees falling over? Is the soil stable? Is the tree stable itself? Um, so... For what I'm interested in mostly is why are trees holding together throughout all of our storms? As we see more storms and increasing the amount of storms, why are trees able to stay together, not fall over? And therefore, the converse to that is why are they falling over? Um, and I, a lot, I've recently become a tree risk assessor trainer for uh, ISA, and I'm really interested in seeing if we look at that likelihood of failure, likelihood of impact consequences, and then partnering, not partnering, but looking at what John Goodfellow did with writing the UTRA, the Utility Tree Risk Assessment uh, BMPs, how we can use that protocol to try to understand how to manage, whether it be the tree risk assessment individual trees, which I'm still very interested in, or from the utility sector, looking at the whole circuit wide. I mean, I like how John population approach, which is really urban forestry, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Have you been coming to this conference every year? Like, has this been part of your core visit? I really don't want to admit this. This is my first time. Really? It, it always comes at a difficult time of the year for me. I teach on Tuesdays and Thursdays and usually all, sometimes on Wednesdays. Um, as much as I enjoy coming to conferences, I'm employed at the university the students pay my bill. I don't know how much of my money comes from, yeah. where, where my salary comes from, but I know a good portion of it is paid by the students. Right. And I, I feel that I owe them to be in the classroom. Yeah. My failure to go to a classroom means they're not getting my information and they're, not, they're paying me to sit and not do their work or work with them. So I'd love to be here more often. I took advantage of Pittsburgh being so close that I can come up. Yeah. Oh, that's well, great. I, had, in what, the first two weeks of school? Can't be a good yeah, time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's always been the problem with the trees and utility for me. It's just it's just hard to get away from. Yeah, I'm surprised because I've seen you at conferences all the time. Never occurred to me not this conference. Yeah. 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 When Phil and I first started working together, you know, I was very interested in, you know, having Phil, you know, write white papers and, and yeah. on things that are happening, and we we sort of when we fleshed it out, we realized that like paradigm of how people get their information has changed and how they digest information. So he read something that's I actually wrote. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that feel good. That, that's what kind of prompted us to, to start Trees and Lines, actually, um, and create, like, digital content. So, yeah. In yeah. conversations with Phil in the past, um, we've tried to figure out how we can get more students to something like this. And um, it is a challenge to get students to travel, to give up a whole day of classroom or two days of classes when there's papers due and homework and tests. And yesterday I had my first test in my arboriculture class and a lot of professors are having tests. So we've been in school a month mm-hmm. now, actually. Oh, okay. Um, and some, some universities start at different time periods. Um, I think this podcast, other modern ways of getting communication out to the students that as a faculty if i if i see podcasts that i can bring in and short blips that i can bring into the classroom give as homework assignments watch this and tell me what you've learned i think that is another way that we can actually engage our student population and show them where career paths lie because most of us 
I don't know, Phil, when you were doing your undergraduate, did you have any clue that there was a field of urban forestry and arboriculture? Oh, certainly not urban forestry. I knew about utility forestry before I knew about urban forestry. Oh, really? Okay. Because I came through the Ken Carvel's. There you go. Yeah, yeah that so. explains it. So Ken Carvel was a professor of really civil culture and dendrology culture, yeah. uh, at West Virginia University and just passed away two years ago now, maybe I think three. So, right. Um, but did, he really did a lot with the early entrance of academia into utility forestry. Hundreds of the first people in the industry came through Ken Carvel. When I was out working in the temporary positions out in PG&E in California, we hired a lot of people from WVU, and it was because of Ken. Bless his soul. He was great. It would be great to moderate a panel with the two of you and John and uh, maybe a couple of industry practitioners and maybe let your students observe that dialogue and that conversation and see the different ways everyone's thinking about, you know, the same subject. Yeah. Uh, That'd be be quite interesting. But another interesting person to bring into that would be, um, um, Rich Hauer. Oh yeah. Who just left Wisconsin university of Wisconsin, but he, he has both the academic realm and now the industry realm, which would be another good mindset to bring in. We should definitely, uh, we should explore that, but I really appreciate you taking the time today and doing some great work at, you know, West Virginia and look forward to continuing to chat with you. Keep well, us thank posted. you very much. Yeah, this was and a if pleasure. you do post outage investigations, get hold of Greg. Yes, please. Yeah. I, I would love to have <laughs> a, a way to talk to you about receiving any data because I truly believe a lot. Some of the utilities and some of the consulting companies have looked at small data sets, but when we can compile a very large database, then we can use power the power of big data and machine learning to actually maybe bring us forward in our industry. So I think that'd be great. Very good. So thank well, you best much. Of luck. Very good. Yeah. Excellent. Greg, it was Thanks. a pleasure. Good. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. That's it for this episode of Trees and Lines, brought to you by Iapetus Holdings. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments on any of our episodes or ideas for topics or guests, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at treesandlines at iapetusllc.com. We'll chat with you soon.